Good morning, Elevation. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, my name is Brandon and I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo. Glad to be joining with you online this morning. Over the course of the last month, we've been exploring some of the ways that the good news of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, the gospel, is really good news for our world. We've been talking about this word shalom, which is kind of an all-encompassing Hebrew word, which means peace, well-being, wholeness, abundance, the perfection of God's creation, the way things were always supposed to be. And so the question that we're going to be exploring here this morning is how does the story of Jesus bring us our world closer to this vision of Shalom? But rather than reading, just reading the story, we're going to enter into it and we're going to allow the story to shape us. The gospel, writes Jamie Smith, is the way we learn to be human. This is good news. But it's also an acknowledgement that many of the default ways that we learn to be human can steer us off course. And so this morning specifically, we're going to take a look at how a breakdown between generations can prevent us from experiencing the fullness of God's shalom in our lives and in our world. One of the gifts that Melissa got me for my birthday just a little over a month ago was a book by Jerry Seinfeld. It's called Is This Anything? And it's a collection of uh, all of his stand-up comedy bits that he's collected over the decades. Um, I will read excerpts from this every once in a while just to get everyone a good laugh. Uh, but the, one of the ones that stood out to me recently, he was talking about this story of like what it's like to be a kid being dragged around by your parents from one place to another. Maybe the bank, the grocery store, the department store. And he said after a while, like it's like your legs start to give out from under you. And I found a picture online that gives a picture of what he kind of is illustrating in this routine, this child like face down on the floor of a store, just like, I can't do it. Anyways, he goes on to say like, this is what it's like for a kid. It's just so ridiculous. And the parent tries to pick the kid up, but the kid can't stand up anymore. They're just, sorry, mom, like my legs have just gone to jelly. I can't walk anymore. I can't stand up anymore. And then at the end, his kind of punchline towards the end of this little bit is that adulthood is the ability to be totally bored and remain standing. Like that's what it's all about. You see, life has a funny way of putting us in situations that we once found intolerable. Think about it this way. Suddenly, the boy or girl with cooties starts to capture your attention. Suddenly, buying a minivan seems like a really appealing idea. Suddenly, the gray-haired couple in a retirement commercial look like the kind of people that you could have a good time with, right? But as unnoticeable as the transition between stages of life seems, somehow barriers continue to exist between our generation and those before and after us. About a year ago, there was a viral video of a, a millennial MP from New Zealand and in the middle of their House of Commons, someone was heckling, which is what happens, and she just turns and says, okay, boomer, and she goes on with her thing and this became a viral thing. Um, uh, the Russian author Nikolai Gogol writes in his book, Dead Souls, the current generation now sees everything clearly. It marvels at the errors. It laughs at the folly of its ancestors, not seeing that this chronicle is overscored by divine fire, that every letter of it cries out, that from everywhere the piercing finger is pointed at it, the current generation. But the current generation laughs and presumptuously, proudly begins a series of new errors at which their descendants will also laugh afterwards. The sad thing about this quote is that it was written 180 years ago. This has been a long-standing trial, and it goes in both directions. It's not just a younger generation scorning the older. Sometimes it's the older generation scorning the younger. I officiated a wedding for a couple 
from our church a number of years ago and they had moved to Toronto. He got a job at this big law firm and they came back a year after the wedding and two years after to do some post-marriage conversation. And one of the things that I remember talking to them about was the fact that they had this real desire to travel the world together. They wanted to be able to experience the, the world before they bought a house and had kids and settled down. And I said, well, why don't you ask for a leave of absence for work? And he said, I could never do it. He said, my boss would never let me. He said, you don't understand, like their generation grew up working 60, 80 hours a week and they never got vacation. They couldn't have traveled the world and they're not gonna let us do it either. So it works in both ways. Somehow, in some way, we have long since lost a sense of shalom between generations. Is this just the way that it has to be or is it possible for us to get it back? Well, this morning, in keeping with the theme of generations working together, I'm going to pass it over to our very own Melody Shirk. Good morning, Elevation. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Melody, and I am on the pastoral team here at Elevation, working with our emerging generations. That's our youth and kids. I am also a millennial. So we've titled today's uh, message, Good News for Boomers and Millennials. But let's start by acknowledging that these are not the only generational groups. There's certainly some debate over where to draw the lines, but there are five generations most commonly referred to. The traditionalists or the silent generations, the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. I suspect that many of us are familiar with these labels and some of the stereotypes that go with them. Perhaps you've heard things like Boomers can't text and are resistant to change or new technology. Millennials are entitled and lazy and love avocado toast. Gen Zers are addicted to their phones and don't know how to have face-to-face -face conversations. And Gen Xers, the forgotten middle child between the boomers and the millennials, are cynical or skeptical of authority. We love to characterize different generational groups, don't we? finding ways to highlight the differences between us and them. Some of the descriptions are positive, some are negative, and while these generational stereotypes are often unhelpful because they paint a group of people in a very two-dimensional way, I think it is important for us to acknowledge that we do think and see the world differently. The reality is that there are cultural differences from one generation to the next. While we may live in the same country, city, and even in the same home, each generation is shaped by different moments in history, particularly those that occur during one's adolescence or young adult years. From the Korean and Vietnam Wars to civil rights movements, the dot-com crash, 9-11, 2008 recession, and now the pandemic, events and movements in history shape generations differently and can create very different ways of being and moving in the world. This is also true in the church. Just as different generations engage with the world in different ways, so too do they engage with faith and church differently. And this can be the cause of much friction, from splits over preferences and worship styles to arguments over structures and theology, the divide between the generations within the church can sometimes feel very vast. But as we'll look at today, I think that God has a different vision in mind and that it is actually really important that we learn how the gospel invites us to shalom across the generations if we want to see the church thrive and faith passed on to generations to come. Genesis 17 features a story of God's covenant promise to Abraham. This is our reading this morning, and I just want to reread verses 1 and 2 for us. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, on a morning where we're talking about different generations, I just love the fact that the hero of the story is someone who's a year shy of his 100th birthday. Uh, many of you know that Melissa works with seniors for the city of Waterloo, and so stories about people in their 90s are kind of a regular thing around our dinner table. And sometimes she'll share stories of what these people have done in their lives. And I've got to tell you, most of the accomplishments, the significant things they've done, happen much earlier. So to th hear the story of someone in their 90s having significant accomplishments, I mean, this is a profound idea, right? But the announcement, it really wasn't about Abraham and what would happen in his life. The covenant that God spoke of wasn't only between God and Abraham. It was also between God and future generations. Verse 7 continues like this. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So God enters into a covenant with people who haven't even been born yet. And by doing so, God implicates Abraham in a project of faith that would span the centuries. I read this story in a book by Paulo Coelho. He talks about the story of a time when a great rabbi saw that his people, the Jews, were being mistreated, that he went to a particular place in a forest, he lit a sacred fire, and he said this special prayer asking God to protect his people. And God sent a miracle. And so he told this story to his follower. And then a generation later, that follower um, recognized that the Jews were once again being persecuted. And so he decided to go into the forest and say the prayer, but he wasn't sure how to lay the sacred fire. But God responded with a miracle anyways. Well, his follower, a generation later, recognized once again that his people were being persecuted. So he went into the forest, but he couldn't remember the words of the prayer and he didn't know how to light the sacred fire. But God responded with a miracle anyways. And then the story ends this way. The final person, a generation later, says, I don't know how to light the sacred fire, nor do I know the special prayer, and I can't even find the place in the forest. All I can do is tell this story and hope that God will hear me. And there's a couple of morals we can pull from this story. Of course, God doesn't need all of the bells and whistles, but there's also something about the way that faith can be lost when it's not passed down effectively from one generation to the next. Unfortunately, the story of the rabbis is the story of Abraham's descendants. Much of the Old Testament of the Bible tells a story of, of people wandering away from the faith that Abraham had. A classic example is the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Our journey of faith cannot be one generational. We have to walk our own path while also helping those who have come before us finish their journey well and those behind us to stay on the path. Francis Schaeffer has this great observation. He says that Christianity demands that we have enough compassion to learn the questions of our generation. What is going on in our time as we go through the different seasons of life? Now, every once in a while, I feel like I'm not that disconnected from my kid's generation. My daughter will walk down the stairs and she'll be wearing one of the sweaters that I wore when I was in high school. And I think, well, that's pretty cool. But of course, I wanna pass on something even more significant than my sweater to my kids. I wanna pass on a vibrant faith and a trusting, trusting way in the life of Jesus. The story that we live into now, the story that I live into, it's directly related to the story that our children, our grandchildren and so on will live out in the years and the decades and the centuries to come. 
And the beautiful part of this is that in the church, it's not just our biological families that are affected. In fact, our story crosses over to other children, other grandchildren, and other future generations as well. So the question, what role are you playing in the story that the next generation will live into? As we look at the life of Jesus and the early church, I think we find some clues for cultivating shalom between generations. I'd like to look at three examples together this morning. In Mark's gospel, he tells the story of Jesus' interaction with some little children. In chapter 10, he describes how families were bringing little kids to Jesus for him to bless them. The disciples tell the people not to bother Jesus with them, but Jesus is insistent. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. In a culture where children were not highly valued and had very little power or social standings, Jesus' words are striking. Not only are these children welcomed into Jesus' presence and blessed by him, but Jesus challenges those around him to actually learn from them. We have a fuller picture of what it means to be followers of Jesus by learning from this generation. As we move further into the life of the early church, we meet Timothy, a young man uh, who joined Paul in his missionary work and eventually went on to pastor the church in Ephesus. We learn that Timothy comes from a family of Jesus followers and that Timothy was taught the faith by his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice. The, follow the foundation of faith that was passed on to Timothy from his mother and grandmother paved the way for him to join in and provide leadership to the growing movement of people who were trusting Jesus as Lord. I think that this gives us a picture of the beautiful opportunity for discipleship from one generation to the next within our families. Another thing that we learn about Timothy is that Paul and Timothy had a father-son relationship or a mentor-mentee relationship. Timothy traveled around with Paul, watching how he lived, led, and ministered. Eventually, Timothy is sent to the church in Ephesus to be the pastor there. Paul encourages Timothy in his leadership of the church, telling him not to let anyone look down on him because he is young, but rather to set an example for others in the faith community. The culture of Paul and Timothy's day favored the leadership of older men, and Paul's affirmation and encouragement of Timothy's gifting and calling is a beautiful example for us to encourage the development of those who come after us. I think that Paul's approach to mentoring Timothy holds a lot of practical wisdom for us today too. Paul both trusts the faith that is alive and growing in Timothy, and also offers him guidance and wisdom for the difficult challenges that he is facing as he pastors the church. There's a partnership here. Paul allows Timothy to lead and live out his growing faith, but Paul does not leave him on his own to figure things out. He offers helpful wisdom and guidance when the time is right. The third passage I'd like us to look at this morning is in Acts chapter 2. Here we find the disciples on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes to them with wind and tongues of fire, and they begin speaking in different languages. It is quite the scene. Peter gets up and speaks to the crowd, sharing with them the good news that Jesus is in fact the long-anticipated Messiah. He begins his speech by quoting from the prophet Joel, saying, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. 
In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Here, Peter is explaining that what was prophesied long ago is now being brought to fulfillment. And I think we catch a vision for the hope that we can have as the people of God. God pours out his spirit on all people, men and women, young and old, boomers and millennials. All people have a place in the family of God. So this all sounds great, being the family of God, but in actuality, we don't often do this very well. I talked earlier about how there can be friction in churches between older and younger generations. And surveys show a steady decline in faith participation and church attendance in younger generations. Now let me be clear, the goal is not to just make sure that church attendance is high in the future. But I think that it's obvious that we have some work to do in learning how to pass on faith from one generation to the next and to relate to one another across the generational divide in a meaningful way. I won't pretend to have all of the answers on how to go about doing this, but I'll offer a few thoughts on some things I think we can do to step into this unique role to be a unified body made up of many different parts and generations. The first is to foster intergenerational friendships. One study I looked at talked about the important roles that relationships within the church played in the lives of what they call resilient disciples, that is, young people with a, a vibrant and active faith. Their findings suggest that one of the most significant influences on a young person's faith life is the relationships with others of all generations in the faith community. Of those young adults considered to be resilient disciples, 77% said that when they were growing up, they had close personal friends who were adults from their church, parish, or faith community. This is really significant. Personally, this is something that I've really valued about my faith formation experience. From youth pastors who invested in me, to mentors who invited me to play with their kids or go grocery shopping with them, I'm so grateful for the intergenerational friendships with those who are further along the path than me. I also have the privilege of hanging out with many of your kids and teenagers every week, and I learn so much from them as I listen to them share who they are, what they're discovering in the world, and the questions and insights that they have as we talk about what it means to know and love God. I attended university in British Columbia, and there was one year that a member of my group of friends would invite us to his parents' home every Sunday night for nacho night. We would hang out in the kitchen with his parents, making nachos and chatting about life. I so appreciated the way his parents genuinely enjoyed, or at least appeared to genuinely enjoy, spending time with this group of young adults. They were open with their lives, being honest on the days that they were exhausted or discouraged or just didn't have anything to give. And they were present to us each week. It wasn't anything particularly profound, they just showed up. But I was really impacted by that and looked forward to hanging, that, hanging out with them just as much or maybe even more so than hanging out with my friends. Um, it was such a gift to watch these adults walking out their faith in everyday contexts and to learn from them through conversations over nachos. Maybe seeking shalom between the generations doesn't have to be really complicated. Maybe it's as simple as showing up, sharing your life, and eating nachos together. 
Outside of our families, the opportunity for the generations to mix is something that is fairly rare in our society. We like to group with those who are like us, but the church community invites us to form meaningful connections with people of all ages. Here at Elevation, our neighbors groups, and when we're in person, our conversations around discussion tables are a great opportunity to do this. In these groups, we can listen and learn from those who are in different life stages than us. I encourage you to think about ways that you can invest in those who are older and younger than you in our faith community. And if you're ever interested in being a youth or kids volunteer, I do know someone who can connect you. Another thing that we can do is to be intentional about inviting voices from different ages to lead and shape our church communities. I think this is a particularly important invitation for our kids, teens, and young adults. You are part of the church now. And we need your voices, your perspectives, your gifts, and your leadership if we're going to be healthy and whole. I think that one of the drawbacks of having age-specific programs is that it can create the perception that real church is for adults and that kids and youth have to wait until they've grown up to actually contribute to the larger community. Obviously, I believe there is so much value in age-specific faith development programs what I spend most of my time and, and energy thinking about. But I want to make sure that we're finding ways to affirm often that we are all part of the church family, fully and completely right now, whatever our age. Over the fall, I read a book by Natalie Frisk, a pastor at the Meeting House, called Raising Disciples. In this book, she talks about the importance of passing on a faith to the next generation that is Jesus-centered, not morality-centered. What she is getting at here is that we want to pass on a relational faith, not a structure of do's and don'ts. And we do this, she says, by living our relationship with God in front of those who are younger than us. As we think about being the church family, I think that it's important to find intentional ways that we can introduce generations to come to the person of Jesus and his life-changing message, and to hold the structures and traditions and ways we've always done things a little more loosely. For they are simply the container that holds the message, not the message itself. And while there is so much wisdom in learning from the containers of the past, if we hold on to them too tightly, I think we'll miss out on opportunities to pass on the message to next generation. What we want to do is model and pass on a relationship, and then allow the Holy Spirit to lead each generation in the journey of living that out in their own context. It requires humility from each generation, from older ones to hold their models loosely, and from younger ones to listen well to the wisdom of those who have more experience and who have been walking with, with God for a long time. Throughout this series, we have talked about how the gospel is good news for different groups of people. We've been hearing the call to be one, even as we are different, and come with different perspectives and experiences. Today is yet another call to humbly listen to those who are different than us and to root ourselves in the shared identity that we have in Jesus, even as we bring our perspectives and experiences to the table. For as Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the beautiful and challenging call to the church, to be a place 
where we can bring the fullness of who we are in all of our differences to be part of one body. Just as the hands have different work to do than the eyes, we each have a different role to play. But our purpose is to help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So as we think about how the gospel is good news for all generations, let's consider how we are part of the body together and what we can do to help the other parts grow. It's so true. The gospel is good news for millennials and boomers because it reminds us that we are all part of the same body, bound together under the same promise in Christ. The covenant that God made with Abraham would eventually be consummated in Jesus, who the author of Hebrews calls the mediator of a new covenant. Well, what is that covenant? I think John's gospel spells it out well. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The covenant is that we can all be part of God's family by faith. And this covenant of faith is what we are charged in passing on to the next generation. The gospel is really good news. And as inadequate as we may feel on a given day, especially in the midst of a pandemic that just keeps dragging on, we are called to pass on this good news to anyone who will for even one moment lend an ear. We pass it on by telling the story, by living out the story, and by helping people to live it out in their own way, in their own day. In just a minute, we're gonna dismiss and have an opportunity to talk about this morning's theme in our neighbors groups. If you're not part of our neighbors group regularly, I'd encourage you to join the link that'll be in the comments section now. I'm gonna close with prayer and I'm gonna begin the prayer with the words that were shared with me by Doug Martin, a member of our community, in a New Year's Day prayer that he wrote and shared with a number of friends. He wrote this prayer as a reflection of when his two-year-old granddaughter was sitting on his lap and they were working on a puzzle together. So I'm gonna start with his prayer and then I'll close our time together. Lord, you have been the lap for each new generation. We sit for a brief while enjoying your presence, experiencing your correction, struggling with the peace before us, trusting the big picture to your control and goodness. God, I'm grateful for this picture, a reminder that every generation sits in your lap and that we also are given the charge of helping the next generation figure their way out. God, I pray that you would help us to seek shalom, not only between generations, but between men and women and liberals and conservatives in the areas of creation and racial justice, all of the things that we've been talking about this month. May we be the kind of people who help to bring your kingdom about in our world. We pray these things with faith. In Christ's name, amen. Peace to you.